That was beautiful worship, was it not? Amen. Oh, thank you. As we uh, get started this morning, I want to make a couple of um, comments. And really where I wanted to start was uh, reflecting back to last Sunday. How many people were here last Sunday? A good, good portion of us. Um, it may have been one of the most powerful Sundays that we've ever had uh, here at Myrtle Grove. And the reason I say that is because Doug and Beth Wright um, shared their testimony. They shared their story. And it's a story that many of us have uh, participated in. And it's probably a very accurate picture of the last 30 years here at Myrtle Grove. It was a real time of celebration. Doug and Beth may be up in the balcony. I don't know if they're up there or not. There they are. Um, but if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to uh, pull that up online, look at that. It was, there wasn't a, a dry eye in the place. They shared their grief, they shared their pain, they shared their joy, they shared the entire journey. And it was very, very powerful. And it was powerful because it enabled us to look back at the last 30 years. And I think in many ways it's now setting the table as we look forward to the next 30 years. Because historically, Myrtle Grove has been a very powerful church that is all about sending people out. And we will continue to be a church that is more concerned with our sending capacity than with our seating capacity. We are more interested in reaching those out there than in gathering people in here. And Doug and Beth so beautifully shared their story. So um, there's a couple things we're working on with the missions committee. I don't know where it is. But those of you who are younger and know uh, Tom's Shoes, when you buy a Tom's Shoe, they donate a Tom's Shoe. Um, but what we've asked is if we could ask, some of us could actually purchase one of the logo Bibles that they translated, and if in that purchase, that could also go to funding the next printing. So we're still working on that, but uh, stay tuned. So very, very excited. Um, the other thing that I would be amiss not to mention is um, my precious and wonderful grandmother, went home to be with Jesus. And we had a sense of that. Um, Abby and the kids and I were with her last weekend, um, and we had a sense that it was uh, coming. Anna and some of her kids were there. Um, and we wrote letters, and we were all able to sit with her. And I think it took me 20 minutes to get through my letter because I couldn't see the paper that it was written on. But it was very, very sweet time, and it was really a, a, a sacred moment. And Meemaw would never, I called her Meemaw, um, when I got a little older, I hit 16, I called her memes because Meemaw just didn't see, seem too cool anymore, you know. But now that I'm 35, I'll call her Meemaw again. Um, but she didn't say goodbye. She said, I'll see you later. And that's, uh, she, she's with Jesus today, so we celebrate. I think the other thing I was gripped by this week, um, just thinking about her story and then the story of our larger family that I also want to just make mention of, is sometime in the 70s, uh, Meemaw was praying for her lost son, uh, Steve, uh, my dad, who was down in Puerto Rico, um, deep in the drug culture. And he was, she was praying for her son and said, God, if you're real, would you touch and save my son, Steve? And it wasn't but a couple weeks later that uh, my dad, Steve, called his mom and said, Mom, I met Jesus. And then he proceeded to, uh, some weeks later, I don't know when exactly in the, uh, as the story unfolded, but he led her to the Lord. Uh, sometime later, my grandfather, I called him Papa, 
he came to Christ. My dad's older brother, uh, John, Uncle John, who is no longer with us, he passed away a few years ago, but he also came to Christ, and both dad and my Uncle John became pastors. And, you know, we have a number of the family over here and, and maybe some over here, but I just was so um, humbled as I thought about uh, sort of the lineage and God's grace and faithfulness that is now echoing through the generations. And uh, Memes is in eternity with Jesus. She is right where she wanted to be. She said, I want to go home. So we celebrate her uh, today. And uh, one last thing, I... When Abby and I got married, I asked if I could have uh, my grandfather's wedding ring to wear. And uh, this was actually his, his ring. They were married 52 years before he went home to be with the Lord. And it's actually engraved inside with their initials. And then February 8th, 1947. Isn't that cool? We just give the Lord just a thank you for what he's done. <clears throat> I'm here not in spite of losing my memes. I'm here because of my memes. Amen. Um, I'm going to switch gears. We're, we're starting a nine-week sermon series on small groups. Um, Pastor Steve and Jim and Naomi Tepper, our missions director. Naomi, are, are you in the, in the building? Here's Naomi. Um, she's our missions director and our small group director. We've all sort of been collaborating on this. Naomi's been a significant part of it. And I'm just very, very excited about what God's going to unfold and do here. So I'm in Acts 2. If you want to turn to Acts 2, we're going to start in verse 38. And uh, for those of you who like to know where we're going, some people don't like to know where we're going. They just want to show up. That's no problem. But if you want to know where we're going, we have our sermon series outline for the next eight or ten weeks up here. You can feel free to grab it. If for some reason they all get gone, just email Vicki in the office, and uh, we'll make sure you get a copy. Um, but really, really looking forward to that. Uh, Jim, would you put the sermon title up for me? So the sermon series title is called Created for Community, and we're kind of going with the tagline that community is more than a Sunday, missions is more than a trip. And when people live in community, moved by the gospel and marked by the Spirit, great things happen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's actually been a couple months ago now, um, the Lord called Abby and I to leave one small group, which we had loved and really celebrated a number of couples from around the city of Wilmington um, and be a part of starting a new small group. And Matt George, our youth pastor, leads that small group as well as Brittany Conradi, who's sitting right back here with her dear husband, Philip. But they kind of tag team the leadership of that group and I get to go and be a part of it. But as we're launching a series on small groups, I wanted to ask Matt George and his girlfriend, Catherine Freshwater, to come and share some testimony with us about this small group, because it's been an adventure, and it hasn't always uh, been easy, but it's definitely been good. So you guys come on up here and uh, open this up with a little testimony. I love these two dearly. Me to start? Or do you want to start? Okay, I'll start. How's everybody doing today? Good? Okay, good. Um, small group is so much fun. Um, I think it's a place where I've just been able to come and not just lead, but just share my heart and, and be real with uh, other people in the group. And at first, you, you know, I do middle school and I do high school and sometimes I help with college and it's like, I don't need another thing. But then when you sit back and you're like, well, Jesus needed community. Jesus took 12 guys with him. If you think of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're their community. I mean, it's three people. It's not just one. And so it just, the Lord was just really speaking to me, and he said, hey, 
Jesus needed 12. You've got 18. How much farther can you go? And so it was just, it was so exciting just to see that, you know, Michael and I and Brittany, we partnered and we started dreaming of what this could look like. And looking back now, we've seen people who have come in and they've just, they've just opened up and they've come alive. And we become a small family. And I think that's what we're supposed to be. The church isn't just walls. It should be a family who we can come and we can cry and we can share and we can be just excited about what's going on in each other's lives. And so small group has just been really incredible for me. Well, my story's a little bit different than Matt's. Um, Michael called me and asked me to be a part of it, and I was very honored to be thought of, but I really wanted to say no. Um, It's probably not what you wanted me to say. Um, But I think for a couple reasons. One, it was kind of what Matt was saying. It was For me, it was kind of like, oh, good, another thing to do during the week, like one more thing to add on. But then also, I really knew that this group was going to really push and try to cultivate... um, just honesty and transparency, and that really, really intimidated me, I think. Um, and so Michael said, just pray about it. And I said, okay, and assumed I would come back and say, no, the Lord doesn't want me to. But um, I went and prayed, and the Lord, I really felt like the Lord was nudging me to say yes. And so I realized not to try to argue when the Lord said yes. So um, I joined a part, of, joined and decided to be a part of it. And I guess I would just say, Kind of what Matt was saying, we've developed the most incredible community out of this. Um, Wednesday nights are my favorite nights. I look forward to it. Um, and just, I've learned a lot about myself and just really grew, grown in self-awareness, I think. And I think the two of us, too, it's been awesome just to be spurred on by other people there and people that have um, just done this before um, and are better at it than us. Um, and for me, in my life, and church is great, and we come here for fellowship, and it's incredible, but... Um, the reason I love small groups and am so passionate about it now, I guess, is I feel like the enemy really wants to isolate us and to kind of get us by ourselves. And when he does that, it's like he has a little bit of victory over us because we feel all alone. Um, but small group to me is, is where we can come in. And if we have the courage to open up a little bit and to be honest and to shed some light on some things, then the Lord has the grace to just surround us with people that can come alongside you and say, yeah, I get that. And I've, and I've walked it before you and I understand. So we've gotten a lot out of it, I would say. (laughs) Thank you. One of the things we're going to be doing during this series is calling on a number of you all, a number of the small groups around Myrtle Grove, to share testimony. So stand by, and uh, in fact, if you see your name on this list and you haven't been called, uh, there's a little disclaimer in there. (laughs) We will be reaching out to you. So uh, anyway, thank you guys uh, so much. Thank you. Uh, Matt and Brittany do an incredible job of leading authentically and creating an environment where we're all sort of sharing openly. And uh, there's a lot of tears. I think every week there's tears. And uh, it's been very, very good. So thank you guys. And Catherine, you shared perfectly. Okay, I'm in Acts 2, uh, if you want to turn there. And I'm going to start reading um, in verse 38. I want to give us a little background on this. Um, The Holy Spirit shows up at at Pentecost at the beginning of Acts 2. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter at some point. And then as you get towards the end, um, I guess middle of chapter 2, Peter stands up and he preaches to a huge crowd of people. I don't know exactly how many people were there. We know because at the end of the chapter, it says some 3,000 came to Christ or or gave their lives to Christ uh, that day. We know that it was a very big crowd. So I'm not going to read Peter's entire sermon, but it's a very very powerful uh, sermon where he's just sharing Christ Jesus. But let's pick it up here at the end, uh, starting 
at verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's very interesting here because right off you get, he is not being very uh, politically correct. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 39, this promise is for you and your children and, who all, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Let me just park there a second. You know, think about people who are far from God. Just think in your mind. Think with somebody. Somebody in your neighborhood, somebody at your office, somebody down the road from you, somebody who's far from God. That is who God is really interested in. He is interested in touching those hearts. He is interested in bringing those people. You know, I have prayers that one day this house will be full of people with tattoos. Full of people with some different piercings on their face. Full of people who are struggling with sexual identity issues. We're not going to change the truth of the Gospel, but we are going to be outrageous and extravagant lovers of people. We are going to love people and welcome people. See, God has, God has called us to reach the ones who are far off. Peter just said it. That's what He's commissioned us to do. And so often as Christians, we get, we get stuck inside our, the church. I do it. We get stuck in our own heads. We get stuck in our own service. We get stuck in our own walls. And we get stuck in our own forms and functions. And we forget about the larger world out there that God is about reaching. Let me give you a little sort of a barometer that you can use in your own life. Okay, I'm going to step on maybe some of your toes. You use it and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. If you walk out of here on a Sunday morning and your thoughts and sort of your conversation revolves around assessing how the preacher did or how the sermon sounded or how the worship whatever or whether so-and-so made a mistake, you might be missing the point of the Gospel of Christ Jesus. There's a little sign on our back wall. I'm sure Peggy Lanier, one of the former mission directors, right on the very back door, it says, you are now entering the mission field. When we leave this place and go to our lunches or go home or go wherever we go, if you are more in tune with going, Lord Jesus, what are you doing in this moment? Whose life around me are you touching? Who do you want me to be encouraging? Is there someone in the room, Holy Spirit, that you are moving on that you want me to step out and participate with you in ministering to? That's someone who is full of and empowered by the Spirit. Now please understand, I can lead the conga line of those of us who are analyzing and navel-gazing at what we're doing wrong. But as a church, God is calling us, and Doug and Beth Wright in some ways symbolized it, as we do this about face and we look towards the next 10, 20, 30 years, to be a church that is so aware and going after the people out there who are far off. That's what the church is about. That's what Jesus was about. Jesus wasn't super stoked on all the religious leaders of the day. In fact, he made most of them mad. So mad, they ultimately killed him. 
We are about the ones out there. Verse 39 again, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We're, gonna, we're looking at two things here this morning. We're looking at the macro church, so the big church, big group, big gathering, and then we're going to go all the way down as we get through this chapter and look at the micro church, which is small groups and missional communities of people and groups of people who are sort of on a mission together to reach out and touch our neighborhoods, our places of work, our Wilmington as a whole. So, you know, fascinating to me that 3,000 were added that day. And I, I want to say a couple of things about this before we keep going in the chapter. Um, the church was under the Roman government at the time, and the Roman government was not excited about Christianity. They were persecuting the church. The church was under persecution from the Jewish leaders of the day, from the Roman government of the day. And I want to make a uh, sort of comparison from that um, to where we are right now. There's a lot of concern among us Christians about the political climate of America, about who's going to be the next president, about what's going to happen, about the declining moral standards, the declining standards in America as a whole. And I want to, just a couple of statements about that. God is not wringing his hands in heaven about who the next president is going to be. God is not wringing his hands over the next ten years of America. He is not. You see, historically... The church thrives when things get difficult for her. I've been corresponding this week with uh, Asaph and Lynn Din. Some of you may know them. Uh, they're some of our missionaries who are in Pakistan. That's what I would call it. I think they call it Pakistan, maybe. Um, but really, really sweet couple. They were here not long ago, and they brought this really fascinating message. I sat on the front row and just wept. They said, as bad as you hear it is to be on the news, it is, but Muslims are turning to Jesus in unprecedented numbers under the persecution that they're experiencing. They said it is better over there for Christians in terms of the, the conversion ratio, the conversion rate, than it ever has been. Currently, more people, more Muslims in the Mideast are turning to Christ than ever before. I wanted to read you a little statement of something that uh, Lynn sent me. This is an article off of uh, opendoorusa.org. Um, she literally said to me on, via email, she's writing back and forth with me, she said, Michael, I can't say more than this because she lives in Pakistan for fear that they will find us out and I'll get in trouble. So she had to limit even what she could say to me, so she turned me on to several different um, things. One of them was this opendoorusa.org. But uh, here's an article about a guy named Amir um, and Rasha, his wife, and their two children, and they fled their homes. Um, so here it is, they're, they're interviewing it, I'm giving you a little background here, uh, and she's holding a five-month-old um, baby girl named Christina. So listen to what they said. Since 2012, we li have been living in a tent, Amir shares. It's not an easy life. About a year ago, my mother's wife was killed by a sniper when she went out to have some fresh air. That's persecution. That's scary. My wife's brother was killed on his way home. The life of this family was and is still hard, but recently they found light in their life. Listen to this. 
about three months ago, I was given a vision of Jesus Christ, Rasha shares. This is the mom. Given a vision of Jesus Christ in the middle of a Muslim nation. I was sleeping and all of a sudden I saw Jesus Christ in white and He said, I am Christ. You will have a beautiful daughter. He said to her. I was eight months pregnant and a month later we received a beautiful daughter and they named her Christina after Christ. At about the same time, my husband had a dream too. I saw Jesus. He was dressed in white and He said to me, I am your Savior and you will follow Me. That was the husband. Isn't that cool? I am your Savior and you will follow Me. I, I am... Yes, I heard John back there. Glory to God. Amen. Understand a couple of things here. I love America. I love our country. I'm not against America. Love it, love it. I was just up in uh, Washington, D.C. meeting with congressmen and senators. For I'm on the board of the Juvenile Diabetic Research Foundation, and I go up every year and meet with them. And we do like these 16-hour days, and at the end of the days, I run the, um, the mall. I'll run around the Capitol building, run around the White House, run around the Washington Memorial, run all the way up to the Lincoln Memorial, and I just weep while I'm running and, and pray for our nation. I love America. In fact, uh, we had the kids, Abby and I had the kids there a year ago, and um, we took the kids up and, and showed them the Lincoln Memorial. And then it wasn't, I guess, six months ago, Eve was studying um, in school uh, the Gettysburg Address, studying Lincoln, and she memorized the Gettysburg Address. And so Eve and I were having uh, breakfast. This has been, I guess, two months ago now. We were having breakfast, and, and Abby and Stephen weren't in the room. We were making breakfast. And uh, Eve says, Dad? I said, yes, sweetie. And she said, do you remember when we went to the Lincoln Memorial? I said, yeah. She said, do you remember when we walked up the big steps up to Mr. Lincoln's shoes? Yeah. And she said, do you remember you took my hand and you, you took me over to the Gettysburg Address? I said, yeah. And she said, and then do you remember when you like read the whole Gettysburg Address to me? I said, yeah. And she said, I didn't know what that meant then. But now that I've studied it, I really understand what it means. And it is such an important thing. And I'm like, it's one of those daddy moments. But please understand something. I love our country. But there is a misnomer that can happen where America becomes synonymous with the kingdom of God. And that is not true. It is not true. And if the political and if the climate in America gets such that it is adverse to Christians... Mark my words, read the entire Bible, Christianity will thrive. It may be that God is not in heaven wringing His hands over the next decade, but He's in heaven looking and saying, get ready for the greatest move of the Spirit, the greatest revival, the greatest waves of my Spirit will move across America and maybe the nations as things get more difficult. God is not limited. He is not limited. And as a church, we will not wring our hands in fear either. God has called us to be out and about sharing the hope that we have, sharing the light that we have, sharing it in communities of people, in small groups of people. Amen? Okay, let's jump back in. Got to figure out where I am. Let's see, I think we're on uh, verse 42 now. So 3,000 were added to that number that day. That's amazing to me, by the way. I mean, we have evangelical on our sign. That's what that means, reaching out and sharing, bringing people in. You know, that's, that's what it's about. 
But 3,000 people came to Christ that day and were baptized. That's incredible. Just incredible. I mean, study this. And then this next passage is really becomes a blueprint for how do we do life in community? How do we do life as believers? How do we do life in Jesus? So let's check it out. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. I love that word devoted. Love the word devoted. You know, one of the risks of being in the Bible Belt South is historically Christianity almost became cultural. So sharing the Lord's loving kindness became sort of synonymous with being, you know, polite or nice or, you know, cotillion-esque. Not that that's bad, he's been through cotillion. But my point is, when Christianity becomes cultural, you can lose that devotion. These people were devoted to the Lord Jesus. They were giving their lives for the Lord Jesus. My Meemaw was devoted to the Lord Jesus. I was laughing, total side story, but it's, it, it, it must be shared. My Papa would go around with his big blue truck and he would go to every, when he was still alive, he'd go to every grocery store in town that would give him food, and he would fill the back of that truck with food from grocery stores that were moving it out and getting it off their shelves, and he would take it downtown and feed the hungry. Devotion. See, us as Christians, us as believers, where, just, just reflect in your own heart and in your own mind, Lord, where is my devotion? Has my Christianity become comfortable? Has it become more about me than it is about both you and the people around me? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You know, we live in a stage where there's not a lot of awe at this moment about who God is. In fact, my generation, I'm the very beginning of the millennial generation, but there's almost a, um, we love the Abba Father, the Papa Father, uh, the Lord's loving kindness, His grace, uh, and that is all very, very true. But there's also an awe of who God is. There is the Lord's um, he, he, is a, he is a consuming fire. And as we move forward, I believe we'll see more and more about who God is and in all His awe. And then look at this. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You know, people get uncomfortable about that. I can't find anywhere in Scripture that would indicate to me that those wonders and the movement of the Holy Spirit should cease. One of the reasons I love our church because we embrace that full gospel approach, a word and spirit approach to our walk with God. Expect to see more of those in the days ahead. Verse 44, All believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Now, I, wanna, um, I want you to flip over. We're just going to do one other verse. I want you to flip over to Acts 4. So it's two chapters to your right. And read verse 32 with me. And then we're going to jump right back to where we were. This is just another statement about this that I think is interesting. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with much and much grace was upon them. Okay, you can flip back. A couple little things about this. You know, there have been a number of Christian groups over the years. I was actually, a dark part of my life was spent in some weirdness, um, and uh, God rescued me from that, thank the Lord. But um, there's been a number of Christian groups over the, over the years that have gotten sort of off track trying to live a communal life. 
it's interesting because they were clearly living in deep community. And the day could even come in our country or, you know, you never know how bad things get where we would have to live communally. But right now, God is not calling any of us to live communally. He's calling us to live sacrificially. Sacrificially. You know, my brother-in-law, I don't know if David's here today. He's going to be embarrassed and punch me in the arm for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the things I love about David, he would never tell, tell you anything, but if you pulled out David's wallet, I don't have my wallet in my back pocket, you pull it out, on it he has written God's. That's all it says. Big capital G-O-D-S, G-O-D apostrophe S, God's. He's got it right. It's not just our tithes is the Lord's. It's everything we have. God has called us as people to live sacrificially, financially, with our time, with our energy, and it's in living sacrificially that He will empower us and you will begin to see a city shifted and the climate of a city changed for Christ. That is what God has called us to be about. That is what He has called us to be doing. Verse 46. Oh, I think I skipped something. Um, yeah, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to go back up. They broke bread in their homes. Small groups. They did life together. They ate together. They supported one another. They broke bread in their homes. I would encourage you, if you're not in a small group, it's time to start thinking and praying about a small group. If you're looking at me and you're going, Michael, I can't find a small group, it might be time that you start thinking and praying about leading a small group. Because see, God moves in, the, in, in sort of the macro here view with all of us, but he also moves and discipleship happens probably best in the context of living rooms and kitchens and dining rooms when people are sharing and they're sharing intimately and they're doing life together. They're being vulnerable, they're crying, they're laughing. That is when Christ shows up. You know, God has called us to be little even missional communities we could call small groups. Groups that are about reaching out. And we have a lot of groups here in this house that do this well. We have a lot of groups that over the weeks that we unfold this, we're going to hopefully get some, some people to share. But there's people that have been doing this for years in our house. But see, God is calling us to advance the gospel everywhere and every day. And He moves in large corporate settings, but He also moves in small groups. See, the New Testament here is really, and what we're reading today, is a blueprint for life, and it's a blueprint for Christianity, the big and the small group. You know, Abby and I were in a, um, in a couples group for a number of years, and we would often go in, and one of the things we said at the front end of getting into this group is, if they aren't authentic, and if they aren't genuine, we don't have time for it. And we got in there the first day, and there was a couple, and they just put all this mess on the table, and we went, wow. You know, that's the place where when you don't know how to discipline your kids, when you're dealing with a grandson or granddaughter, that's the place where you're struggling with something in your marriage. That's the place where you come together and you begin to be vulnerable and you go, hey, I don't know how to deal with this. That's the place where life begins to happen. My, our last small group was last uh, Wednesday, and it was one of the best we've ever had. It was so good. 
Brittany facilitated, and she'd ask these really hard sort of deep questions, and people start sharing, and people start crying, and people start encouraging each other. That is New Testament church. That is life. See, God will call some of us to plant churches. God's going to call some of us to be missionaries like Doug and Beth. God's going to call all of us to live sacrificially. And God's going to call all of us to get in communities of believers where we can do life together. You might be sitting here and you might be going, Michael, I'm already in a small group and I've been in one for years. Then let's start praying about what the Holy Spirit wants to do to bring new life into it. Maybe you're here and you're going, Michael, I'm in a small group and I love it. It is the best thing ever. And I'd say more power to you. Keep running the race. Maybe you're here and you're going, I don't know how to get in a small group. We're going to unfold some of that in the days and the weeks to come. Last thing. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I was just listening to um, Jack Hayford. Many of you know Jack Hayford. He's one of my heroes. And I'm looking at this sincere hearts thing. I think authenticity is such an important thing. Being authentic with each other, sharing with each other is so vital. And Jack attributes much of his ministry success to integrity of heart. That's that sincerity. If you're in a small group and it just doesn't feel very alive, maybe you come in and you start sharing more deeply. God has an incredible purpose and incredible plans for this house and for this city and for this region, and it is going to be about small communities of people. That's where God moves. Let's go to a time of prayer. Dean, are you still here? If you'll come. We're going to close in a song here. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me as Dean comes and the team. We're coming, okay. Let's just uh, start praying. Lord Jesus, here we are. Lord, we don't necessarily know how to do life. Lord, there's ups in life, there's downs, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's joy. And yet, Lord, as a church, we embrace Your call to reach the nations. Lord, as a church, we embrace Your call to do not only big group meetings like Peter did in Acts, but also the micro, the small groups. Lord, would you search our hearts this morning? Father, would you allow us to know you and be known by you? Would you allow us to know each other? Father, I pray for the people in the room who aren't yet in a, are in a small group or who've been in one in the past. Lord, I pray that you would birth in this house many powerful small groups that are focused on reaching out, sharing life, doing life together. Oh.
praise you for your great grace. We praise you for your unending love. Lord, we praise you that you pursue us to the ends of the earth and back. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place today, would you birth in us such sincerity and genuineness in our faith with you and then genuine communities of believers who are committed to advancing the cause of Christ in this city. Lord, we pray for our city that you would move in this place. Lord, we pray for our state and the entire eastern seaboard. Lord Jesus, we partner with you in knowing that your purposes will prevail. The kingdom of God will be established upon this earth. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless us as we go. I want to ask as we close that our maybe some of our ministry team would come up here and be available. For prayer. If you've never accepted Christ Jesus, don't leave here today without accepting Him. If you need prayer for something special, if you have a sickness or something else in your family, we want to pray with you. We love you guys and we bless you in the name of Jesus.